This is Guitar Talk. To me, it just seems like there are endless possibilities. One of the things I like to find out, you know, how people got influenced in the play and the guitar, because stories are so unique. The trick is not to feel pressure to conform. If you know anything about Joel, he's been around the block. He's probably one of the most sought-after guitar players. How would you create that song? How would you turn that song into your song? There's not a guitar player on this planet that I personally don't follow closer. It's it's not something that you see too often. I only know a few players that do it. Now, from the home of the blues, Chicago, Illinois, welcome to Guitar Talk with your host, Jimmy Warren. All right, everybody, Jimmy Warren here. Welcome to Guitar Talk. So thankful you could join me uh, today. You know what? I feel really fortunate, you know, although we've all been locked up and things have been extremely crazy, some good things have happened during this time. One is I launched Guitar Talk, and now it's, you know, it's morphed into so much more. If you go to Guitar Talk Official, you can see exactly what I'm talking about. We have several video series, you know, we've got... Uh, We're doing reviews on CDs and on gear and gear demos and all kinds of stuff. And soon, we'll be actually offering products on Guitar Talk. So you'll be able to go there to buy guitars and pedals and amps and all kinds of things. It's going to be a really cool. We're trying to make a one-stop shop for you players out there. So, you know, (laughs) I don't know if we can do it, but we're sure as hell going to (sighs) try. You know, today I got a great show in store for you. Uh, Today my guest was the uh, musical director and guitarist for Lita Ford during many of her worldwide tours. He has performed or recorded with greats like John Kay and Steppenwolf, Bon Jovi, King Cobra, Quiet Riot, Pat Travers, Joe Satriani, Steve Vai, Stu Hamm, Jack Cassidy, Tommy Two-Tone, Walter Trout, and Ingve. Malmstein, just to name a few. You know, his music has been featured in movies like Spaceballs by Mel Brooks, the TV show Supernatural, the Howard Stern Show. He's been on the History Channel. He's had music featured in the video game Rock Band. You can hear his music across ABC, NBC, VH, VH1, Stars, HBO, you name it. Man, this guy is a uh, professional musician. That's all I can say is he is a professional musician. He's got several albums out, uh, and he is a great player. I know he's just released a couple of singles that you can get on Spotify or Google or wherever it is that you get your music from, and you can visit him at stevefister.com. That's right. Steve Fister is my guest today. You're really going to enjoy this interview because he is a professional guitar player. That's it. You know what I mean? He is a professional guitar player. And on top of that, he is an artist. So, you know, I'm not going to continue to yap like I want to. I am going to stop right there and we are going to jump right in. Here's my guest, Steve Fister. Hey, Jimmy. How are you, Jimmy? I'm good, buddy. How are you? Oh, man. It's good, man. It's a good day today. Yeah. Nice and warm today. I'm sorry. You're in Chicago, right? Yeah. <laughs> you're going to yeah. hate me. It's beautiful here today. <laughs> Where are you at? Uh, Southern California. Oh, well, yeah. It's always beautiful in Southern California. 
but we have wildfires and, you know, earthquakes and everything else. So, you know, I guess it makes up for it. Yeah, well, we just got uh, nine inches of snow and we got four more falling today. So, Oh, my God. Yeah. So, you know what? We've had really mild winters. You know, when I was a kid back in the 70s, we would get a lot of snow. But, you know, I don't think I've shoveled my driveway four or five times in the last five years. Man, that's the global warming, huh? Yeah. No? I mean, yeah, it's something. Because I'm from Buffalo. I'm no, I'm no stranger ah. to snow. Okay. Yeah. So. That's nothing but snow there. Yeah, man. That's tough. That's tough. So, you know, I'm really glad that you've taken some time to to do this. I, I love the the guitars there in the backdrop. Oh, cool. Beautiful. Cool. Beautiful. This, this is my studio. This is um let me let me get my video here a little bit bigger so I can see what's going on. Ah, oh, what the hell? Um gallery. There we go. Perfect. As much as we're working on Zoom, there's still features that I'm, you know, fumble with. Yeah. Uh, so you know are, I mean? you, are you doing uh, performances on Zoom, lessons? Been doing a lot of teaching. Yeah. And and uh, that's been a saving grace. You know, I've done, you know, been really fortunate to be able to weather the storm by doing that. I mean, I've always been a teacher. I was, at, you know, Los Angeles College of Music and MI. Yeah. And it's, a, it's a nice way to uh, kind of give back and help out a little bit. Yeah. You know so, what I mean? So do you teach at MI too? I have. Yes. Yeah. Back, yeah. back when there was school, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Jimmy, what are we going to do? <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. Well, you know what? It, it'll come to an end. You know, it seems like it, it seems like uh, some doors have shut, but yet some doors have opened. Some people have found some creative ways to, stay in front of people and, you know, continue to make some form of income, you know, in spite of it all. You know, it, it, it is like necessity is the mother of invention. You know, um, we got the high speed internet up here finally, and it's, it's kind of been a game changer because now even some remote sessions, you know, I do a lot of recording session, my Pro Tools rig over here in yeah. with, you know, real guitar sounds and a nice old booth and very, grateful that I could keep that going. And, uh, it's, it's been, uh, you know, it's been really good. We have tour dates, you know, for November for Europe yeah. and we, we're still not sure. We're not sure we have contracts, we have things to do, but I'm telling you, we're, they handle it a little bit different over there than we have here. So yeah. it's going to develop as it develops, I suppose. Yeah, there's no way around it. I know some guys have just said, ah, the heck with it, and moved everything to 2022. Right. That, yeah. that may be a consideration, you know. Um, yeah. And then in which case we're going to have to do it, got to err on, on the side of caution. I mean, hell, you know, we don't want to put anybody at risk, in, including ourselves, you know. Right. right. It's crazy. Right. There's nothing worth that. Yeah, that's for sure. So I, I saw that on your website, one of the things, you just mentioned your studio, but you mentioned that you use real analog equipment. So is that to assume that you're anti-digital, you know, that you're not a fan of Kemper or Fractal or Line 6 or any of that stuff? You know, I think it has its uses. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm old school when it comes to that. Um, with that being said, I did, um, I have a composer friend of mine and 
I did a video game. Uh, most of the music for this video game is going to come out. Kind of crazy, but they're special, very specific cues. And I wound up using um, the Chris Lord LG um, guitar simulator and Pro Tools, you know, that kind of thing. And he loved it, and it sounded good. I put a, I put a, a Tube Screamer in front of it. Mm-hmm. Just adds a little something. And it felt good, and, and, you know, normally that's the problem I have. It just doesn't feel right in my hands. The yeah. sounds are great. You know, you get the great sounds. But, um, you know, I think life would be a lot easier if we, if we moved over to that. But, man, I just love the roar of the amp. I want to feel my pants move a little bit when I'm playing right. gigs, you know. And, and, but, no, you know, I'm not, not totally anti because it's getting better every year, I must say. It, it, it's sounding and feeling more realistic than it did when it first started so yeah there are a lot of bands a lot of players that have made that switch as a matter of fact i was talking to larry mitchell last night and you Mm -hmm. know his playing's great you know his sound is incredible he's 100 fractal doesn't use an amp at all yeah you need to switch wow (laughs) you know (laughs) <laughs> he's like well I, I carry a bag and and a briefcase and i get on the plane and i'm done i keep you know I'm, i keep a bunch of gear over in europe yeah and that's really fortunate you know but i'll tell you what the tube amps need servicing you know every year before we start that's a big expense you know yeah. you gotta haul everything out make sure everything's there you gotta get there early because the band is the band and we're ready to go we don't need uh you know We've been doing this for a while, so, you know, but the maintenance on the gear, you know, there's Larry getting on the plane with the, with the fractal. Now I'm getting jealous. Yeah. There's a lot of guys doing that. It's crazy. Even some of these hard rock bands, I'm surprised, you know, they're just using a Kemper head. That's it. And that's all they take with them wherever they go. Right. You know, it is uh, adapting to the modern world, I suppose, you know, but then, then, you know, you got monitoring, you know, you really need to have a, a, somebody a competent monitor engineer and stuff and you yeah know, we're we're the way i look at it is if i still you know i still have a, a four by 12 roaring behind me um i don't want the guitar sound coming out of the monitors yeah because it's never eqs right i mean they can if you're walking on stage they can kind of follow you if you know that kind of thing but as far as having that reproduce it you, you can't get a good vocal sound at least i've and not in my experience or my budget to be able to get a good vocal sound and a good guitar sound at the same time. So yeah. play to the level of the drums, you know, an acoustic drum kit, some guy, you know, you know our drummer hits kind of hard, but it's yeah. dynamic. Play yeah. to that. And then it's really kind of hard to, hard to mess it up. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, what made you in the very, very beginning, what made you pick up the guitar? I mean, uh, you've had a, you've had a really cool career. You know, I mean, you've got to play with some really amazing people. You've done some great work on your own. So what launched that, that, that whole career off to begin with? You know, I just think that the earliest memories, you know, um, of course, coming from Buffalo, snow, yeah. we have a basement. That, that's where everything started to happen, you know. Um, my older brother's record collection, I think, and, and images of Southern California. Remember the old Fender catalogs? with the girls on the beach yep. and, the, and the racing stripes on the guitars and you know, all this kind of stuff. That kind of culture just really, really got me. And plus the, the sound of the guitar, such a versatile instrument. I thought, man, th- this is for me. It just something resonated. 
you know, with me and it's been, been with me all my life. Thank God. Yeah. So did you, uh, did you go to school early on, you know, for guitar? Did you start taking lessons early on or did you learn on your own for a while and then go to school? I went to the local music store and, um, had a really good beginning teacher and learned to read, learned to do, um, there wasn't a whole lot of really great transcriptions back then. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't, obviously it was way pre-internet, Yeah. you know? So, you know, I had the benefit of some really, really great guitar teachers. Uh, my beginning guy was great. The interim guy was really good. And, um, I had one guy before I was getting ready to move to Southern California. I was 17 and he taught me most of the stuff that I've based, you know, most of my, you know, harmonic ideas and stuff, you know, all in that time. I took three lessons from him a week and I was playing literally, that was the eight, 10 hour a day phase before I, before I came out here. And when I came out here, um, I wound up studying a bit with Ted Green, who is, you know, the chord chemistry guy and just trying to broaden whatever I could bring to, you know, I'm a dyed in the wool rock player. You know, um, I've tons of influences, but that's what I like. That's what I, what, what I, what I feel, but it's always been, um, there's always been some source of study, you know, to, to keep it, just to keep it interesting, keep it going. Cause you'll never learn it all. There's always something to learn. Yeah. So what would you say are some of the foundational things you did during, or some of the things you did in those formative days that were foundational in helping you become the player you are now? You know, is it's, and this is kind of a fluke. It's back then it was, you know, drop the needle on the song. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm telling you? Oh, you I know. know. We'd That's have to really, really develop ears and, and really be able to do that. And I'll tell you, half the stuff, I was always kind of a lousy copycat. And it worked much to my benefit later on because I started developing my own voice right away. So I thought, well, great. I'll listen to this great Freddie King. Listen, listen to, you know, all all the the great blues breakers and and Peter Green and Eric Clapton, all, all, all the great guys that we love. And then Jeff Beck, forget it. Top of my list always has been. And trying to learn the stuff off the records you know, it's really, really cumbersome, you know? Yeah. And, and, uh, so then I started developing different fingerings and different, uh, different ways to use my voice on the instrument. And I, it, as an accident, you know, now people are, you know, with, with the tab and the exact note for note, man, I was never a really great note for note guy. You know, I mean, obviously we can do it, but it was never really my thing. And I think it, it really worked out better in the end because it, it helped me get my own voice. Yeah. I I think, I think, uh, you know, finding your own voice like that is paramount if you want to be an artist yourself. Absolutely. Versus, you know, being a a side person, you know, for somebody in that. So, uh, you know, in the, in the early days in Buffalo in that, in, in the early days of coming to California, were there some people that you got involved with that you would say, you know, uh, that were like really key, in helping elevate you because you know sometimes being around players that are better than you helps bring you you know up With, without a doubt um my my the thing about 
growing up in Buffalo, you know, in, in, in Western New York, there was always gigs to play. We were playing, you know, I'm just a kid. You know, I started playing clubs when I was 12. Fake ID. Right. The, the long right. hair, you know, the Les Paul and the Marshall. Yeah. And, you know, you're playing four hours a night and you're getting up and you're going to school. And I did that for years and years and years until, you know, you, you start running into a circle. And I thought, well, you know, if I'm really going to want to do this and make a career of this, I have to go where the music is. And I checked out New York City, you know, just from afar. Yeah. And man, that's way cold, you know, it's way cold. I wanted to get out of snow. And I thought, well, okay, how can I, can I immigrate to London? You know, English music. We love English music. Yeah. Forget it. Immigration's really hard. I, I would have lasted six months being a kid. I probably wouldn't have made it. But Southern California, you know, so, and that's Los Angeles and the music thing. So I got out here and uh, just as a kid and, and started just pounding the pavement going to every, playing on any possible thing that I could, any session, um, it, it didn't matter what it was, but uh, just to get some experience. And eventually I wound up getting a road gig with the Iron Butterfly, that was my first gig, first oh. pro gig, you know, a road gig. And of course we're playing clubs the whole time, you know, we're driving to Orange County and, and playing, you know, cover songs. Of course, I wasn't playing them exactly right, you know, we were playing close, you know, play your own solo, you know, right, right. that kind of thing. But that was the training ground, you know, and, until, you know, I finally decided that, okay, I'm not going to, I'm not going to play cover music anymore. I'm going to play with national acts. And I bit the bullet and did it and uh, wound up doing, um, geez, a bunch of touring with the classic rock band. You know, the Iron Butterfly. Then I got a gig with um, Michael DeBars, who I, I was always a fan. I love Detective and I love, you know, the 70s st style music that he played. Yeah. And it just kept, kept rolling from there. Yeah. And so, and so what kind of advice would you give somebody, you know, if they were in that position themselves? You know, if they're in a, a cover band now and they want to play as a sideman for somebody, I mean, what kind of advice would you give them? You know, the thing about being a sideman, and, and I really separate that from, from my artist life, yeah. you know, um, is that, you know, it, it is the craft. And it, it, it's not, you know, you're being hired to play somebody else's music correctly in the way that they want it to be played and presented. And that goes for how you're going to play it on the stage, how you're going to represent yourself, you know, right, right down to your haircut. Mm -hmm. I mean... It, it, it's like the whole thing. So if you're going to audition for somebody, um, you, you got to kind of be in the network because somebody has to vouch for you, you know, so you don't turn into a maniac on the road, you know, yeah. it's nothing worse than that. And we, we all know those people. Um, and I'm sure I've had a few incidents myself, you know, we have, have some miles, yeah. but being prepared, having, having your, your proverbial shit together, you know, right, right from the right guitar, the right backup, you know, the right sounds, the right stage presence. It's all part of it. It's not just the playing, you know, uh, and you got to be able to hang, got to get around, get along with everybody, um, particularly the guy that's paying you because yeah. it is the music business after all, as much as, you know, we, we want to fly the artistic flag. 
if we are going to work for somebody else, you know, we got to kind of, we've got to really toe the line, so to speak. So advice, it, it, you have to be where the music is, first of all, you know, um, it's changed a bit these days. Yeah. Of course now, you know, I mean, everybody's outlook has changed because of this, this horrible disease, but you know, networking and it's who, you know, people are your best resource. Um, but really know, know the material. Somebody asked you to learn a couple of songs, learn more, learn, you know, go the extra mile. Uh, leaders appreciate it, you know, um, have some, have some care in your craft. You know, it's not just rock and roll. It looks like it's rock and roll, but there's a little bit more that goes into it. You know, being, being a pro, being on time, that kind of stuff. Right. You know? Yeah. I would think that, um, you know, having done a little bit of that myself, it seems to be that it isn't always the best player that gets the gig, you know, sometimes it's somebody that's just a good person that's willing to be a team player, you know? Absolutely. And you know, another thing that's kind of important too is being able to sing. Yeah. In rock bands, if, if, you know, you know, you got two guys, you're a leader, you got two guys, one guy can sing, He's got a good vibe. He's a good hang. I can learn the parts. You know, we can all learn the parts, what we need to do. Um, it's not rocket science anymore, you know, now, you know, so that's an extra little att- attribute, you know, one thing that's helped me um, a bit was slide guitar playing. Yeah. You know, being able to, to play open tunings and be able to play different things, be able to be versatile and, you know, whatever the leader needed at that particular time. If you liked the flavor, well, that was cool, you know? Yeah. But believe me, Jimmy, I always wanted to do my own thing, you know, and I've always, you know, it's like, until the time came again, it's like, like in the cover band days, when you finally make the decision and you say, all right, I'm going to play with nationals. I'm not going to, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm not going to, I'm not going to go and play in a place where there's a TV set, you know, going, I'm not going to do that anymore. Not that there's anything wrong with it. It's great. It's great learning ground and, you know, learning how to, you know, get along with people and play and do that kind of stuff. But when time came, you know, I'm glad I can do a lot of session stuff and I'm really grateful to be teaching, but, you know, finally to be able to do my own thing and to do it with sympathetic guys, you know, it's like hired guns, you know, at least in my trio, I mean, we've had the same guys for, Oh man, a lot of years. And you have to know how to navigate airports and, 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 you know, basically, you know, you have to be able to get along and and really like the guys you're working with. And, um, Mm -hmm. you know, we we got a nice little team and I'm really grateful for that, you know? So when this, all this crap stops, we got to go back out. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So, so the transition from, you know, uh, being a guitarist for somebody mm-hmm. into stepping into, okay, now I'm going to do my own thing. Now I'm responsible for everything. I mean, everything. that's, you know, that's, that can be dawning. I mean, there, there could be a lot of learning curve. There could be a huge learning curve there. What was that process like for you? Well, you know, I, I made, I made a couple of records, um, in, in the very beginning and you know, a lot of favors. I got a lot of favors for some really great players and the scene in LA was really good. Like, like I'd play in a, in a Sunday night band 
with um oh geez i played in one with with greg bissonette for a while and you know another i wound up playing doing jack cassidy's record and mad apps we'd play in another sunday night band you know in la there's a club scene you know that kind of thing um uh, one of the one of the jazz clubs uh you know i was playing with carmine apiece and jimmy haslip we do that a couple times a month so you know by making my own records and you know we'd play a couple of my tunes we could play a couple of you know their tunes and really really kind of dive into the music a little bit um the first thing for me that really made the transition was is i got a record deal over in europe after a bunch of misstarts here you know with atlantic records the record never came out everybody's got a million of these stories right right but you wind up you know getting some sort of information, you know, hopefully being a little smarter every time. But I thought, well, okay, my audience is going to be Europe. It's going to be European. It's really expensive to tour the States, particularly, you know, without support. It can be done, but it's really, really rough. So I thought, well, I can get a record deal over there. I can go over there and work. And I did. And uh, we went out for the first, I was by, by around record three, we went out with with Walter Trout for who, who really, really super helped me a lot. And, you know, we're, we're playing Belgium on a Monday night, it's raining and there's, you know, 600 paying people. Boom. No, no problem. Yeah. And those kind of things really, really helped, but you learn so much from just doing it. And, and, uh, I was lucky I had a support system there and the thing I really liked about it and I still do is that, People will come every year, you know, and we were going out there two, three times a year. I, I, I hardly worked in my own country, you know, yeah. but that was the transition that I made. And believe me, we all made some mistakes. Um, but the different culture, I mean, they, they, they like generally uh, what Americans would do. You know, the blues players, yeah. I mean, you know, I was blues based, you know, I never really considered myself a staunch blues player. I mean, I love it. My, you know, my, some of my favorite players of all time you know uh the kings right. you know it's just fantastic but you know i always wanted to add that rock arena edge you know and bring the big show into the smaller room yeah and give people you know at the end of the day it really is an entertainment product you know we want to be our ki- true to ourselves and really mean it but we want the people to walk away with a nice experience, maybe a hook they can sing, tap their foot. You know, it's an emotional thing, this thing. But boy, yeah, I'm getting off the track. But, but to answer your question, there's, there's, we looked for opportunities, you know, so much to get on support tours. And we did, we did uh, a Satriani tour. We worked with Y&T. We worked with, um, oh, just a, a lot of, and they were all super gracious, man. We never had, uh, you know, problems with, with, you know, you can't have the full PA, you can't have the lights, you can't step here. There was none of that bullshit. Yeah. So o- over there, everything was pretty good. We're, we're on some of the rock tours. They can get pretty nasty. I, I, I did a lot of time with Lita Ford and we were on the biggest tours. It was cool to be in a big rock band in the eighties, you yeah. know, yeah. and uh, play all over the world with that kind of stuff. But that was an education. So that all that stuff was cumulative and helped me, you know, uh, when it came time to touring under my own name. Yeah. 
You know? I think people in the in the U.S. they don't understand sometimes the uh, the music market in Europe, you know, or Japan, yeah. or South America. Exactly. I'm I'm from Chicago, and everybody here plays, you know, somewhere else. It's, I mean, it's. I know, man. I, I was as funny. I was just talking to Andy Timmons and I said, dude, I love Andy. He's a great guitar player. Oh yeah. I said, well, why don't you ever come to Chicago? And he goes, it's just not, it's just not feasible. It's just yeah. not possible, but I'll go to Europe or I'll go to South America or Japan. Or, <laughs> so. It's crazy, isn't it? I mean, it getting there, obviously there's an expense and, and, and there's certain things and, um, you know, maybe I got to look into this fractal thing. I don't know, you know, um, <laughs> <laughs> but there are always this startup stuff. And, and that's the thing, you know, I, I've been working with, with Godin guitars now for, oh, maybe five, six years now. Yeah. And it's so great to have the support and I can do clinics, you know, I can, I can send the guys home and I'll wind up doing, you know, some clinics and some master classes, and it all helps. It all yeah. helps spread the word and, you know, it's just been very cool, cool relationship. All right. This is Jimmy Warren. You're listening to Guitar Talk and my guest, Steve Fister. I wanted to break in and let you know that on Wednesday, the 31st, my guest is going to be Mike Zito, Texas guitarist Mike Zito. I tell you what, he put out an album last year, like a tribute to Chuck Berry. And I remember he did a big show in St. Louis, had a lot of great players, Walter Trout, Robin Trower. I think he even had uh, a, a nephew or some relative of Chuck Berry that actually came and played as well. So uh, Mike's a great guitar player. He's going to be joining us on the 31st. I just wanted to let you know to go to guitartalkofficial.com. Subscribe to our email list so that you don't miss anything that's going on. And you can see the video episodes of uh, Guitar Talk right there on Guitar Talk TV, along with uh, videos to several other series that we have, like Hidden Gems and Gear Life. So, you know, if you're a guitar player... It's a place for all things guitar. All right, we're going to jump right back in with my interview with Steve Fister. Yeah. So so right now your go-to guitars are the Godens. So what are you using? Uh, what's your go-to amp? You know, over in, uh, well, here in the States, you know, um, it, it's rent a back line. So I'll go for a, a JCM 900 right. or an 800 with an effects loop. Right. That's kind of key with the trio. You know, I play in a trio. Right. And uh, a really cool kind of sleeper amp that I use. I have all the amps right here. They're right next yeah. to me. You can't see it, but <laughs> um, are the they were made in oh geez mid nineties or early nineties the PV Classics. Oh really? Remember those things? Does, I do. I do. I have like like three of them, and I can rotate them around. And they're they're kind of pseudo Class A sort of amps. They're they're a real different voice than the Marshall. Yeah. But it, but they have really nice sound and, and they, they hold up real well. And um, <clears throat> I've been working re really good over in Europe. I had an endorsement and well, probably still do. I'm not sure <laughs> with <laughs> Framus and Framus was making these, these huge tube amps, you know, um, basically like a Marshall platform, EL 34s, um, three channel loud amps with, Four by twelve cabinets with vintage thirties, which is my preference. Yeah, and um, they've been working great, and they're really, you know, made in Germany. They're bulletproof, 
So I, I use those when I'm on the road over there. Yeah. But, you know, we have to be adaptable because, you know, you're going to play some crazy gig and no matter what's on the rider, you got to make it work. Yeah. So. And there's the reason why you get the fractal. You don't have to worry (laughs) about that no more. Right. Jimmy, they're going to send you one now. You know, this is great. I I wish they would because, you know, know, I'd really like to try one. You know what? I actually, uh, um, I recorded uh, an EP myself in 2019. I had... Mm -hmm. um, Johnny Grapark played bass and Michael Lazier played drums on it. Johnny's a very dear friend of mine. Yeah. We had lunch play. right before the shutdown. Yeah. Great, <laughs> great people, great players. So they played on the, the release. And um, I actually, when I went in the studio, I recorded some of it using my regular mm. gear, but some of it I ended up using the UA uh, audio uh, uh, plugins. Now I, I like the uh, Foosh amps. I use the Foosh ah, overdrive, yeah. and so now they came out with the Foosh overdrive on the UA platform, and I used it, mm. and I used the plugins for delay and reverb and all that other stuff, and you can't tell the difference. I'll be damned. You really can't tell the difference. You know, mm. it was it was really nice, and so I was thinking, well, if I go back in the studio in twenty one, well, maybe I'll just use the plugins and not, you know. you know, for the studio, I bet you it's such a convenience and I bet you it sounds yeah. great. You know, it does. Yeah. Cause we're, we're, we, we don't have that, that physical element, you know, we got them in our ears, you know, or, yeah. or however we're going to track, yeah. but that sounds like a great idea. You know, I'm, 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 I'm definitely getting closer to getting on board, you know? <laughs> you know? Well, I, I, I like analog too. I like the feel of the wind on the back of your legs. Yeah, man you know, coming off the, the cabinets and that. Sure. And uh, even though I, I really like a lot of the uh, um, uh, lower wattage stuff that's come out mm. now, you know, I'm a big fan of some of that. The the new Plexis, you know, Marshall came out in 25 watts. Oh, yeah. The Mesa Fillmore, which is, you know, 20 watts. There's some really good stuff in really low wattage, which is nice for either the studio or club. You know, even though, uh, you know, some guys like Jerry James Nichols are using them in, you know, big shows, you know, just a 25 watt amp. There's, there's a lot to be said for this. As long as, as, long as you can yeah. hear it over the drums, you know, and yeah. not rely on a monitor guy, you know, it's, it's yeah. like, um, it's, it's like, like even Steve I or even Jeff Beck, you know, they have guitar cabinets facing them. Yeah. Those are not vocal wedges, you know, because you want to have, you know, the same feel when you're, when you're. You, you got it. And I always, what I wind up doing is raising the cabinet up off the ground. Just uncouple it from whatever stage I'm playing on. And that keeps it more consistent to me. Yeah. If it's blowing right at my back and then vocally, you know, then you can just get your, you know, get your monitor mix there as far as, you know, a little kick and snare or whatever you need, depending on the room. Right. But yeah, that's, that's cool. If you can be, can, you know, smaller and more condensed, it's way more practical. Yeah. Well, you mentioned earlier the name Jeff Beck, and then I saw the uh, the post that you put out on Facebook for the new song that you had, and I saw the title "Blow by Blow," and I thought, okay, Uh-oh. I thought, oh, okay, is this <laughs> note for note? <laughs> you know, the song was well, really great, man. Oh, thank you, man. Thank yeah, you. You know, really good. 
we have you know the blow by blow you know it's about it's about news and it's about you know t- tell me the news tell me the truth you know um that kind of thing lyrically but it's it's the thing it's like yeah everybody's gonna so all his guitar players are gonna associate it with jeff beck and you know jesus you know he's the mountain as far as i'm concerned that's the guy yeah yeah so why don't you tell us you know i know you just mentioned that the song was uh you know about the news and that but you know did you record it in your own studio did you use your guys on it did you do it all yourself i mean you know um i used use the band you know obviously and, and that's um sandro feliciano on drums and and, and philip bino on bass um you know philip from from steve Vai's band and he he plays with me whenever he can obviously um but right as the shutdown was happening we went we went in and cut a bunch of songs and i had a bunch of new material and so now what we're doing is I can finish up everything here. So we went outside and cut the drums, and we wanted to have a, a rhythm track vibe while we played together. So it wasn't all cut in pieces, you know? Yeah. Some songs, yeah, great. It, it suits it. But this kind of rock and roll, I, I wanted it to kind of be that way. At least we had all the bed tracks. I have a working studio. Um, we can work on them here and then send parts around, like Sandro do percussion. You know, I'll send it over to his his house in Pasadena, you know? <laughs> we're not face to face, but we're like this. So what we'll be doing now until we go back out on the road and hopefully in November um, is just doing a single every five, six weeks. Yeah. That's the first one or actually the second one, but you know, we've got to keep creative during these times. So that's, that's kind of what's going on. I, I love to have the guys involved as much as possible, you know? Yeah. Keeps that, keeps that spirit, keeps that vibe together. I mean, let's face it, uh, musicians got to play, writers got to write. We got to figure out a way to, to, you know, to, to keep, keep creating. Yeah. Well, we we should come out of this pandemic with just a shitload of material from everybody because everybody's hunkered down. They should have nothing but time to, to write and record. And uh, now you released another song, a single called Lunar Landing. Mm -hmm. That was, that was in 2020. It wasn't really that long ago. It was about what six, seven months ago. Yeah. I I did it. And that was right, right when we locked down. And that's just, that's just me. I I said, well, you know, I, you know, I, I started out as an instrumental guitar player. You know, that, that was my thing. That was my voice. I wanted the guitar to be my voice and, um, it developed into another thing over the years, you know, or, but I thought, well, okay, I'm going to kind of go back to the roots a little bit and I want to do something that was very guitar centric, just a real guitar slamming guitar tune, you know? Yeah. So that was it. <laughs> it was the lunar landing. <laughs> yeah. Well, it sounds great. Oh, so man, thank you. So the, uh, the difference between uh, being being an artist that has vocals versus being an artist that's an instrumentalist. I mean, I would think that there would be some hurdles in being able to actually physically get out there and really um, be in front of an audience as just an instrumentalist. I mean, you know, Vi and Satriani and guys like that excluded, mm-hmm. of course, but I'm sure in the beginning there was hurdles for them as well. Is that, yeah. the, is that the reason for the, uh, 
the turn to, to vocals and interesting you know I, I was just thinking about that like my first first two records were largely instrumental you know there was a couple of vocal songs and i made my second record the age of great dreams and pulled out all the stops with with the production and, and the playing and the whole thing and i can remember very vividly you know it's like pushing this rock up a hill you know mm-hmm. but i like the tunes i i you know the pro- performances were you know, real heartfelt live slamming ry- rhythm tracks, and I would go in and orchestrate them with the guitar. But we were mixing in a, in a really fancy studio, you know, SSL, the whole thing, it's like we used to do back in the day, right? Yeah. All the fancy stuff. And in walks a manager, kind of a high profile guy, you know, and he's listening. He's going, Yeah, this is cool. I'm thinking, Oh, great, you know, because, right. you know, it's a, this is a studio complex. It was at AM. And I'm thinking, oh, this is going to be great. He goes, uh, where's the singer? And there's, I've got this really nice guitar melody. Where's the singer? I go, I go, you're looking at him, you know, playing. He goes, man, it sounds great, but you're never going to be able to take it on the road. And I go, oh. <laughs> and, and it just, that moment right there, um, you just kind of said to me, well, okay, I need to tour this. I need, I need to get this out there. I've got a, a great band. Um, you know, we were playing tons of gigs around L.A. at the time. Um, I you know, Stu Ham and, and Tommy Aldridge. Yeah. <laughs> it's a killer trio, uh, you know, and, and no matter how hard you hit people over the head, if it's, you know, you, you, we got to have the girls come in and like it, too, you know, not just a bunch of guys with notepads going, oh, what, what the hell are they playing? Right. And uh, but I had always been a singer in club bands and, and, and always did that kind of thing. So I thought, well it's time to make the transition. So, and try to come a little bit more full circle. And, you know, it wasn't like I was so stubborn. I was going to stay in the same place. What I always do is I always throw an instrumental or two on a record just because I love it, you know, but that was, that was the impetus to do that. Interesting, you know? Well, and so when you're, when you're playing live though, you're doing a show, do you, do you still do some instrumentals? I mean, we slam a couple in there. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we'll do it. And, you know, the, the show will consist of, you know, I like to pace it a certain way where, you know, there's, there's like three sections, you right. know, you start off, then we'll do some, uh, some, some sly guitar stuff, some, some open tuning kind of tunes, maybe a nice moody instrumental. And then the big finish, you know, almost like a graph, you know, right. Right. But keep them entertained, you know, keep them, yeah. keep them tapping their foot and, and, and hopefully digging it. And of course, everybody plays, you know, everybody's, we play way too many notes and, and we have way too much fun, but that's, that's half the fun, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know? I, I love, I love instrumental guitar music. I mean, I could, I mean, that's, that's what I love the most. And, uh, you know, I've been in Chicago, so I've always done blues, blues rock. That's mm-hmm. been because, you know, there's a market for it. Sure. So it's hard to go out and uh, stand on a stage and just play instrumentals all night because the market slims pretty quickly. It's really slim. And, and let's face it, the guys that are still the kings of it, you know, I mean, obviously they had great songs and really great stage presence. They put, put on a great show. Um, but that was that was kind of then. Yeah. You know, if, if we're going to move on a little bit, um, there's some, there's some, I mean, there's some incredibly uber guitar players these days. 
but again, we have to have the songs, right? You know, we have yeah. to have those songs. We, we want people to, to, you know, listen to those hooks. I'm a sucker for, for seventies pop, you know, and eighties pop. Yeah. You know, the, just a, a nice hook, something that's an earworm, hopefully, if you can come up with something and, yeah. and put some rock and roll in it, man, let people feel it. And, and you know, they, they can tell when you, when, when you mean it, you yeah. know, an audience will, you know, you know, playing on all those stages that if you're just, man, we're going to make people really bring them inside, bring them in what we're trying to do. Yeah. And, yeah. So, helps. so we talked a little bit about your guitars and your amps and that, I mean, when it comes to effects, are, are you somebody hmm. that goes crazy um, or do you go straight into the amp? I mean, what's your, what's your preference? You know, I, I have a pedal board that, that fits like in a computer bag. You know, yeah. that, that's my go-to thing. And, and as a matter of fact, I got it right under my, my little table here, you know, the one I use. Yeah. I, I've got an old TS-9. It's not an 808. It's just yeah. a TS-9. And in the front, and then I have um, um, in, like an octave, uh, almost like a better kind of an octave sort of. M remember, um, remember Cactus, Jim McCarty? Yeah. That guitar, yeah. that, the Ampeg Scrambler sound. Right. There was a pedal Jimmy used back then called an Ampeg Scrambler. It was very weird. I always wanted to get that sound. So I saw this little ad in a magazine, what, oh, maybe 15 years ago, 20, a long time ago, you know. And the guy said, well, you know, send me 120 bucks and I'll, I'll build you an Ampeg Scrambler, you know, my own sound. My, it's a guy called Ron Sound. So it's called an over-easy fuzz. The craziest thing. So I take a check, stick it, and send it to some P.O. box somewhere. And I thought, I'm never going to see this. But right. sure enough, about eight weeks later, this pedal shows up, and I still have it on my board. And it tracks great, and it's a good little thing that you can use once, twice a night just to yeah. vary it up a little bit. So I use that. And another thing, which I just kind of got hip to, it's um, – by Solo Dallas, and it's the shape the Schaefer rep, replica pedal, and it's the one thing that Angus Young uses. You know, it, it's it's right. remember the the Schaefer wireless things, wireless units. I'm back not, in the day. I'm not. No, I'm not familiar with that. Oh, it was it was like one of the only wireless units that used to work back in the day <laughs> when everybody started doing that. Right. But it had this this limiter compressor circuit in it. Ah. To to to. You know, because that's one of the problems with, with wireless, particularly back in the day. It would really, you know, it's compression. It's a lot of compression. If you're playing loud, you distort a guitar, it's already compressed. Right. But what this guy did at Solo Dallas is he wound up taking just replicating that circuit and putting it in a little pedal. And that's what Angus uses this very day into the Marshalls, the same thing. I'll be darned. So um, I got hip to it, and I stuck it on the board, and... Um, Sometimes, you know, when you're doing a gig and you've got those rental amps, you know, that sounds like there's a cloth over the front of the grill cloth. You need yeah. that little extra push that it gives to me, you know, um, yeah. and a, a little mini wah-wah pedal. And, yeah. um, and for delays, man, I'm, I'm old school. I, I, again, I got a DD2 that I yeah. let run all the time, an old, uh, and a CE2. I'm looking at it, a CE2 chorus, boss chorus. And, yeah. um, a DD5 for the long delays and I'll just time them with the short one. I'll step in on stuff and that's about it. 
Yeah. Sounds, it sounds, uh, it, it sounds really uh, basic. Like you got your set sound and then you got a couple little toys there to uh, just give you a little extra, you know, here. Just here. to push the front end of the amp a little yeah. bit with yeah. the tube screamer, you know, and, and, yeah. and with that, you know, that there's so many sounds you can get from, from just pickup selectors, you know, and, and, and tone control and rolling the tone down, you know, cause I'm always playing, you know, you know, from the old days playing Gibson guitars, which, which we all love, right. You know, you, you run it down about six and a half, seven, who, yeah. and then for that, you turn it up, right. You, you can hit something on the floor. That's a whole another series of sounds. Yeah, there's a lot of sounds right on right on the guitar. That yeah, uh, I I, completely, I, comp I completely agree with that. You know, I'm one of them guys that I hate to say it. I turn air, I mean, like the the guitar, the tone in the the volume of the guitar or the the volume of everything is up as loud as I want it to be. Uh -huh. Use the volume and the tone to control everything. I mean, you know, now now my thing is is are are you good with a volume pedal? You know. I, I, I've used volume pedals and, and there's so many cool things you can do with it. I've always been a volume control guy. Yeah. I'm always do, doing that because we had to control those unruly Marshall hundred watt amps, you know, by, by turning them all the way up and turning the guitar down. Yeah. So I got so used to doing that, that, you know, but then again, like a lot of guys, they, they, they don't like the dullness when you roll down your volume a little bit. I yeah. kind of like that. I yeah. kind of fix my sound around that. And then when I'm up, there's a little bit more clarity and if you hit, like, say, a TS-9, it, it scoops out a little bottom, you know, makes the guitar cut a little bit more. So yeah. real simple. That's the way I like it, you know. I mean, but yeah. the guitar is the first line right there. I mean, the guitar's working right. Everything's, in, you know, in, in tune. It feels great. Work those controls. Yeah, I you completely know? agree. But I, I, I've been trying to mess with a volume pedal because... Yeah, you know when I watch Mark Knopfler play, he's one of mm. my favorite players. He is such a master at using that volume pedal. So is Alan Hines. Alan he's Hines another, is great. Yeah, he's another guy that can really work a volume pedal really well. And I was like, you know what? I want to learn how to take my time during this pandemic and try to learn how to use a volume pedal properly, cool. as opposed to just on and off. You know what I mean? Did you ever use it in the loop? Did you ever put it in, in like an effects loop and try doing delays with it? No, uh, that's no. something I'm going to experiment with. I, I, I know a couple yeah. of guys that do it, that do it. And it, it sounds like it could be a cool thing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That'd be real cool. That'd yeah. be real cool. I got a, I got a overdrive pedal. It's called the ethos overdrive. Mm, heard of those. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of built off the Dumble amps, but it has cool. a loop effect built right into the pedal. Mm. Because the pedal is really a, a standalone 30 watt amp. You could use it as oh, you can direct into your board with it and stuff like that. But uh, hmm. that's actually a, a really cool idea. I'd like to try that. I'm going to check that out. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's, there, there's so many things I, I was looking the other day. Um, there, there's so many um, pedals that, that with, with the class D amplifiers in them, you know, yeah. that, that, this might be my, my, my somewhat analog way out of, you know, traveling and yeah. just having a, having a cabinet, you know what I mean? And still having everything on, on the floor. So that's something to explore, you know, you would see, I gotta show you this. This is crazy. This right here. It's ah. about the size of palm of my hand. This is also by ethos. 
It's a, uh, it's just a preamp and it's 30 watts. And so you can take whatever pedals you're using, plug them straight into this, put it into your board or put it into your cabinet, whatever you, you know, and it's half the size of the ethos overdrive pedal. It's just a little tiny thing. doesn't weigh anything. Jeez. Crazy. So I could take this, I could plug that pedal into this mm -hmm. and then go straight into the amp or straight in the front of the house or into the studio or whatever. And that's it. Well, what's the ohm uh, output on that? Is there, can you, can you run 16 ohms or four? It's, it... uh, it's uh, eight ohms. Okay. It's eight ohms. Fantastic. Yeah. Yep. Eight ohms, 30 Watts. That's it. That's it. It doesn't weigh anything. I bet hmm. you this thing doesn't, you know, weigh half a pound. Jeez. If that, yeah. <laughs> crazy. We're getting there, aren't we? You know, we're getting there. It's crazy. So yeah. when's the next uh, single coming out, Steve? We got the next thing um, just signed on the dotted line. That's yeah. in, in queue. That's coming up. Um, we'll have that one out in about five weeks. You know, let's let this one ride a little bit. And, right. You know, it's it's not even a, a matter of, um, you know, it, it's on the streaming services, and that's all good and fine. But as we know what has happened, you know, to to royalty rates, I mean, I'm not going to grouse about it. It's the way it is. I, I, I do wish that the record industry would have kind of taken a little bit more of a cue from the movie industry. You know, you don't see you don't see. The, the, the scale of bootlegging and, and, and royalties and stuff in the movie industry like you do in music. Right. And that just means if we're fortunate enough to be able to go out on the road and sell our stuff, sell our physical product and do that, um, you know, that's what we have to do. But yeah, that's the plan, Jimmy. We're just going to, you know, keep hammering out the singles yeah. until, until uh, we get the all clear sign to go, to go back. I mean, we got dates booked in November and they yeah. were already moved. But that's that may be cutting it close. I don't know. Yeah. It may be cutting a little too close. Maybe uh, I don't. I don't. At my level, I don't want to be the guinea pig that says, you know, people are afraid to come out or people. Well, I couldn't make that one. You know what I mean? Because then, right? You know, then there's no one left to blame. You know. Right. <laughs> so yeah. we're we're kind of in a little quagmire, but but we're gonna go eventually. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it'll work out. It'll, it, it has to work out. Right. I mean, it has to. Some point we do. Yeah. And you just keep that music in front of people so that people remember who, who you are. And, <laughs> Hopefully. Right. And stay fresh in that. And uh, Steve, I appreciate you taking some time to talk to me about your gear and your music and everything else. I tell you what, it's an absolute pleasure to, to meet you and, uh, you know, I'm a fan. I really am. I like your, I like your music a lot. I, I love the, I watched a live version not that long ago of you doing loving cup. Oh yeah. That was really good. You oh, know, man, thank you. Really good. I think it was somewhere in Europe because it wasn't in Chicago where nobody comes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, is, is the Kingston mine still going in? in... It, it's, it's there. As far as I know, it has, it hasn't, you know, been shut down or anything. You know, they tried to reopen up a couple of times and then right. things shut down. Everything just reopened up here. Right. And so, you know, and people are moving slow, you know, of course. 
it's it's uh and, and plus it's the dead of winter too you know i remember last time i was in chicago i went i got to play with sam lay oh okay and um the, that was that was kind of like the thing when you when you uh you know, show your, show your, your, your blues thing, you know, um, not that it's a thing, it's a big part of my playing, but it was a big thrill. That's what I remember about Chicago. Yeah. We were in town playing some, something, you know, but, um, man, I, I Jimmy, I want to thank you. It's, it's great to meet you Yeah. And, and, and hook up in things that you're doing for guitar and, and, uh, you know, we're just going to keep rocking. That's what, that's what we do. Well, cool, man. As you get new music, send it to me. Um, the, the podcast, uh, that it streams everywhere, but there's no music on the podcast because it's, you know, it's a podcast where it's just a talk show, but, right. okay. but I have a new show that's launching on a couple of FM stations and on some digital stations. Uh, it's going to be a, a version of, of this show, you know, a oh, cool. music and uh, the interview and that. So we'll be able to play your music on, on those. So uh, fantastic. Yeah, so it'd be really cool. So if you could just, you know, keep me informed, that'd be great, man. I'll send you some stuff, man, and uh, and we'll, we'll kick it around a little bit, you know. All right, and then when you come to Chicago, we'll go to the mines and, uh, you know. We'll go sit in, hang out. We'll blues it up, man. And <laughs> now you're talking. <laughs> now you're talking. But, uh, yeah, just check out the website, and all the information is there, and, and you know. Right, com. Right. That's it. And that's sort of the things. And that's where I'm doing my teaching. And, uh, you know, we're just going to keep uh, keep on creating and, and keep spreading the word. Yeah. Yeah. Very good, man. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. My appreciate it. So nice to meet you, man. All right. Have a good one. You. Stay safe. You too. Right. Thanks, man. All right. There you go. Steve Fister. You can go to stevefister.com to uh, check out his music, see where he's playing at, uh, take lessons. There's so much that he's offering right there. I want to thank Steve so much for uh, being on this episode. Uh, he's extremely gracious, great player, really good player. And so I was glad he was able to do this. Next week on the 31st, my guest is going to be Texas guitarist Mike Zito. The one and only Mike Zito. You might know him from the Royal Southern Brotherhood with uh, Devin Allman and that whole gang, or who knows where you know him from, <laughs> but you know him for sure because he's a great player in that. So you want to tune in on Wednesday the 31st with my guest, Mike Zito. Until then, you know what? I'm Jimmy Warren. Do me a favor. Make sure you're following me at Jimmy Warren Radio on Facebook and at Jimmy Warren on Instagram and Twitter, and subscribe to guitartalkofficial.com. Until Wednesday with Mike Zito, I'm Jimmy Warren. Thank you so much for tuning in to Guitar Talk. I'll see you down the road, man. Peace.